Welcome to the Cornerstone Baptist Church podcast. My name is Justin Wheeler. I'm the preaching pastor for Cornerstone. And today we are in week three of our journey through the Heidelberg Catechism. And I'll be talking to you about questions number six, seven, and eight. Now by now, I hope that you have all gotten a hang of how our focus as a church on this particular catechism is going to work throughout the year. Each Lord's Day or each Sunday marks the start of a new section. And each Wednesday, a new podcast will drop that is intended to serve as, well, two, two purposes. Uh, general accountability to keep everybody going, keep everybody on track. And then I just want to provide some devotional commentary on the assigned readings for that week. It might be helpful for you. It might not be helpful for you. It might be helpful for you as a family. And that's the goal, just to be helpful to you as you work through this with us as a church. Now, today's section continues where we left off last week. These questions are helping us to understand the guilt portion of this document. They're designed to help us grasp the depth of our sin and misery as a way to set up uh, the necessity of the gospel and our understanding of the necessity for the gospel. These first sections are really important. And today is no exception. We're going to focus on questions six, seven, and eight. So let's go ahead and get on with that. But in order to do that, I want us to just briefly review what we learned last week. I think it's going to be helpful. The answer to question number five from last week reads like this. I have a natural tendency to hate God and my neighbor. Now, this is this is a blunt statement, but it's a true statement. It's a biblically true statement. It's the summary of what the Bible teaches us about our sin and misery. And last week, we looked at a handful of verses that support this particular theological answer. Uh, for instance, we looked at Romans 3.10 that tells us that no one is righteous. We looked at Romans 3.23 that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We looked at uh, Titus 3.3, which tells us that by nature... We pass our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. We looked at Jeremiah 17, 9. The human heart is deceitful above all things. It is desperately sick. Now, this answer is teaching us that our natural tendency is not to love God. It's not to love our neighbor. It's to hate God and hate our neighbor. Our most basic and natural inclinations are not to obey the commands of God, but to disobey the commands of God. And that begs another question, which leads us to our focus of this week. Question number six is this. Did God create people so wicked and perverse? Now, perhaps you've already seen the connection. Is is God the one to blame here? The impetus behind question number six has to do with one word that we saw in question number five, or the answer to question number five, and that word is natural. Answer five says, I have a natural tendency to hate God and my neighbor. Now, if this tendency is a natural one, then is God to blame? I mean, did he make us this way? Did God create man in a state of corruption and rebellion? Did God make us with this hateful nature? And the answer is no. The answer to question number six is no. God created them good and in his own image, that in that is, in true righteousness and holiness, so that they might truly know God their Creator, love Him with all their heart, and live with Him in eternal happiness for His praise and glory. 
Now, if you read through the creation account, which Answer 6 is referring to, then you're going to see that there's a large amount of repetition in Genesis chapter 1. Each day of creation is introduced with the phrase, and God said. And then each day of creation ends with the phrase, and God saw that it was good, there was evening, there was morning, the whatever number of day it was. It's almost like the song, The Twelve Days of Christmas, where each verse begins with the same phrase, on the first day of Christmas. You get the point. The repetition of Genesis 1 shows us that everything God made, he declared good. But when God made Adam and Eve, he declared them very good. When God made man, there was a measurable increase in goodness. And this phrase stands out. It stands out because you expect it to say, and God saw that it was good, but instead it reads, and behold, it was very good. Now, there's another phrase that stands out from the repetition of Genesis 1, and it's the phrase, in his image. Everything was made with a purpose, but only Adam and Eve were made in the image and likeness of God. If, if you read the account, you'll find that all the animals, for instance, were made according to their kinds, and mankind was made in the image of God. We are made to be like God, and as God exists, He exists as uh, a three-in-one, one God in three persons, which implies relationship, right? Within the Godhead, there is relationship and there is love. And when God made Adam and Eve, when God made man, in order to help us understand our identity as made in the image of God, uh, it, it implies that there must be something of a loving relationship. And that's what this catechism is drawing out. Man was created to be in relationship with God, to enjoy that Trinitarian relationship. And the answer to question number six draws this out. God made man good. God made man in his image, in true righteousness and holiness, so that we might truly know God and love him with an eternally happy love and relationship. And so here's the question. If, if that's true, if God made us in his image, God made us good, then what happened? If God is not to blame for our corruption and wickedness, then who is? Well, question number seven comes along. Then where does this corrupt human nature come from? Answer, from the fall and disobedience of our first parents, Adam and Eve, in paradise. This fall has so poisoned our nature that we are born sinners, corrupt from conception on. The answer is this, it's our fault. The corruption of our nature and the brokenness of humanity is owing to the sin and disobedience of our first parents. This is not God's fault, it's our fault. Now, we, we know that there's a backstory here. We, we know that the backstory of what happened in what we refer to as the fall of man, it includes Satan's temptation of Adam and Eve. Satan entered the garden with malice on his mind. To this point, God's word was the foundation of all reality. Everything that God said came to be. Everything that God said was spoken into it spoke being into existence, reality into existence. But when the serpent came, he challenged God's word. He challenged Eve's view of reality by calling into question God's word. I mean, Satan wanted to turn the world upside down. He twisted God's word. He lied to Eve about the effects of sin. And when the deed was done, 
Satan suffered under the curse as well. But as a result of the fall, innocence, freedom, and peace are gone, and they're replaced by guilt and shame and fear. We see conflict arise between man and the woman. We see conflict arise between man and God. We even see a conflict arise between man and the earth. A fracturing has occurred to the design of creation. A brokenness has resulted from the fall. As man wanted to be like God, he now finds himself separated from God. And to this day, that separation, the separation that came about as a result of Adam's sin, it can be clearly seen in the world. Romans 5 provides us some commentary on what occurred in the fall and how the fall affects us today. Romans 5.12 says, Sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin. And so death spread to all men. Romans 5.15 says, Man died through one man's trespass. Romans 5.17, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man. Verse 18, and one trespass led to condemnation for all men. And finally, verse 19, by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. Now, I broke that section up just to focus in on the negative effects of the fall so that we could see this. The universality of sin and death in the human race is owing to the rebellion of our first parents, Adam and Eve. Because of their sin, all humans are born with a nature that is predisposed to sin, inclined to rebellion. And that's why the Catechism says that we are corrupt from conception on. Kevin DeYoung comments on this, and he says this, Our fundamental problem is not bad parents, bad schools, bad friends, or bad circumstances. Our fundamental problem is a bad heart, and every single one of us is born into the world with it. So what does all this mean? Well, that's where question number eight comes in. But are we so corrupt that we are totally unable to do any good and inclined toward all evil? And the answer might shock you, yes, unless we are born again by the Spirit of God. Now, why did I say that the answer might shock you? Because my guess is that most of us don't like this answer very much. <laughs> we might be comfortable with the idea that we aren't perfect. I mean, who's willing to deny that? Who's willing to say, hey, I am perfect, right? We're comfortable saying, no, I'm not perfect. But surely it can't be as bad as this, right? Surely we are capable of some good. Surely we are inclined to something other than evil. I mean, most of us want to believe that our lives, that our thoughts, that our actions are at least at times good. But here's the problem with that line of thinking. When we begin to travel down that road of saying, well, God says that there is no good, but I think there is some good, what we're guilty of doing is the same thing that, that Satan did to Eve. Satan convinced her that God's standard of good wasn't good enough. He convinced her that she could determine what was good and what was not. Eve had never had any reason to doubt that God's definition of good was good until now. And, and she has passed that questioning of what is good on to us. You see, the issue at stake in the garden was not just some arbitrary fruit. The issue at stake in the garden was the right to determine what is good and evil. 
The essence of sin lies in a longing for autonomy, to be the ones who choose for oneself what is right and what is wrong, rather than relying upon God's word to determine what is right and what is wrong. Ultimately, sin is putting oneself in the position of God, and we see the same thing on full display in the world today. We live in a culture where the foundation of our thinking is that we determine what is right and good for ourselves, independent of any outside force or person or history. Every time we say, I know the Bible says, but, every time we determine in our minds that we know better than God how something should be, this is the foundation of sin. The foundation of sin is to grasp at the seat of power which only God deserves to sit upon. And we see it where we prefer our wisdom to God's wisdom or our desires to God's will, or our reputation to God's honor. Now, I don't believe that this means that unbelieving people are incapable of doing morally good things. The love that we see in the world is good, but it is not a wholly righteous good. Even our good deeds are tainted by sin because they do not come from a heart of faith and they do not aim to glorify God. Um, Paul says that everything that does not proceed from faith is sin. And so here's the point that the catechism is trying to help us understand. Our natural tendency is not to love God, but to rebel against God. Our nature is corrupted by sin and rebellion. God didn't make us this way, but when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, their corruption corrupted all of us completely. Our nature is stained by sin, and our only hope is for our nature to be remade. Our only hope is for the Spirit of God to cause us to be born again. We must be changed. We must be made new. We must be made again. We need a supernatural reboot. And praise be to God that Jesus has come to do a hard reset on our hearts. He came to live the perfectly good life that we could never hope to live. He came to die in our place so that our sin debt could be paid in full. He has sent His Spirit into our hearts to bring us from death to life in Him. And in Him alone, we can be freed from the corruption of our nature and made to live an eternal life in relationship to God. Praise God for this good news. Now, I hope that this has been helpful for you, and I hope that you will join me again next week as we move on to the next section, Lord's Day 4, where we're going to be focusing on questions number 9, 10, and 11. Now, if you want to learn more about Cornerstone Baptist Church, you can find us online at cornerstonewiley.org. You can follow us on Twitter or Instagram at CBCWiley. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash cornerstonewiley. You can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Google Play to stay up to date on all the new content. Thanks again for listening.